second segment of the program and this is where we take a look at uh, the questions of our listeners, the questions that you have sent in. Uh, so, Mufti Sab, starting off, the very first question that we have for today, there's a question here that is it valid or is it wise to declare that I have read and agree with terms and conditions or just simply I agree with terms and conditions of any website when creating an account, etc., without reading them because majority declare it without reading and if we are creating five to six accounts on different sites, it's very difficult to read all of the terms and conditions. Yes, so... In an instance like this, uh, you may declare, I agree with the terms and conditions without reading them. And uh, by declaring that you agree with, to the terms and conditions, you will now be bound to follow them. So this is based on the fact that, you know, this is common practice that people do accept it like that. And therefore it becomes uh, acceptable. Uh, and uh, the, the point of consideration is that... Uh, if you agree to it, you've agreed to it, and you're bound to fulfill and to buy that which uh, you've agreed to. Okay, here's another question. If someone wants to start a business in uh, the U.S. of connecting lenders and borrowers and facilitate their loan and payback transactions like paperwork, transferring money from and to accounts, etc., in return, the business will make money by charging a fee, which is a set percentage of loan amount from both parties. Lender may or may not charge interest to borrowers. Is this kind of business or working for that kind of business allowed? No, it's not permissible to be an agent because uh, really this is interest-bearing loans. And uh, the narration which is in Sahih al-Muslim of Sayyidina Jabir radiallahu anhu in which Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لَعَنَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَسْلَمْ آكِلَ الرِّبَا وَمُوكِلَهُ وَكَاتِبَهُ وَشَاهِدَيْهِ So uh, Nabi sallallahu cursed uh, the accept of interest, the pay of interest, the one who records it, uh, the two witnesses, and he said, هُمْ سَوَاءٌ They're all equal in the sin. <laughs> so one, be, one may be an agent for a debtor to arrange uh, an interest-free loan and charge a service fee to the debtor. Uh, you know, that is allowed, but we do not see why the credit of an interest-free loan will pay the agent a fee to give a loan. So, uh, you know, in that way, if there's interest in it, one needs to obviously be careful because this is something very, very serious. Yeah, most definitely. When it comes to interest, it is very, very, very serious. A very serious violation of the Sharia and of the teachings of Nabi Akram sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another question. I took out a tuition fee loan when I was in university and I have been charged interest on it. I know that interest is haram. I wanted to ask, will I be sinful if I pay the amount back which I borrowed, but decide not to pay the interest back? Uh, yes, yeah, so... Uh you know, when a person takes out an interest-bearing loan from a bank or from any other source, you bind yourself legally to repay the loan with terms and conditions which are interest-related. And as we've discussed in the previous question, oh, this is a serious matter. Mm. <coughs> However, now, by you living in a country, by you living in a place where there is this type of dealings that are taking place, and you've willfully engaged in it, you become legally compelled to pay the interest of the loan. And uh, 
there's no way to avoid paying the interest on the loan because it's going to obviously tarnish your name. It's going to have repercussions to it if you don't pay it. And therefore, we would say that you should pay it and then make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the major sin that you've committed by taking out an interest-bearing loan. Yeah, that is uh, that is the difficult part. You know, when you go into it, then to get out sometimes can be really, really difficult. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us all and make it easy. Um, the, the the question reads, right, I'm having issues trying to cope with my wife's body parts or lack of it. I married her not being able to check out, um, to check her, so I couldn't see the entire body. I could only see pretty much her face. Now that we are married, and even though the marriage hasn't been consummated, I have seen her body type and I'm sincerely concerned with it. What do I do? What should I do? Uh, the person carries on with the question. It's definitely something I've always wanted uh, in my wife and she lacks it. It's something that makes me attracted to women and I'm afraid uh, that the pretty face and personality is just not enough. Please help me. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. What we need to understand is that marriage is a sacred institution which comes into existence through a contract to maintain and uphold human dignity and honor. And Sharia has permitted potential spouses to see each other's outward appearance in order to make a decision to marry. Uh, Sharia has prohibited the potential spouse from looking and inspecting the entire body for marriage uh, proposal. As you know, common sense can tell us that this goes against the dignity and the honor of a person. Mm-hmm. And such conduct uh, has many other evils to it. If the potential spouse have chosen each other based on their outward appearance, they will have to accept whatever comes with it. Remember, no human being with the most attractive body type of you know of one's choice is perfect. Every human being has some defect. That is what we need to keep in mind. Uh, you know, if one searches for a spouse with an excellent body type without any defects, uh, you know, it's a, a search in vain because every human has their own deficiencies. Mm. And you should also keep in mind that when you choose to marry a person based on seeing her face and knowing her attributes, it will be a great injustice to leave her because we don't like that, the fact that she may be uh, you know, larger in size than you had anticipated. Or, so. And assuming you leave her now, uh, how will you find a lady with a perfect body of your liking? And uh, will you then request every person to show you that you want to inspect their body and uh, uh, who will obviously entertain that? And in the unlikely situation, even if you get married to the perfect model, so to say, mm. what guarantees that uh, that lady will remain the perfect model for how long? Mm. Because women go through different biological and physical changes. Mm. So you should also consider that uh, if your wife uh, were to make similar observations about you, uh, you know, and uh, uh, and your body type is not according to her liking and, you know, all of that. So this is really a futile discussion in that way. Not in a futile in the sense that it's important for us to understand it, but it shows how vain and how petty it really is uh, in the deeper sense of, the, of life in this world. So when one enters into a marriage, uh, a brief outward appearance is sufficient. The real essence of marriage is experienced by the couple, by sharing their hearts with each other. And that is what we need to focus on. Uh, you know, think rationally, positively. Uh, we should change our mindset of being 
uh, with the, you know, a particular type of uh, a person. Uh, you've chosen the lady as your wife. Now you need to look at uh, building this marriage with honor and dignity and uh, maintaining the dignity and upholding the human values. Okay, the next question, Muftisab. The question reads, my wife was in uh, in pure condition. I think they mean that, uh, you know, she was just Tahir. Other switch men would say my wife was in pure condition. But I think they mean that she was Tahir, and then the husband and wife had a relationship, and afterwards they came to know that uh, she was, uh, you know, she was actually in her menstruation period uh, during that time when they were together. So the person is asking, is that sinful? And if it is sinful, then what do they have to do? Then there's a second part to the question that uh, if the wife is not pure because uh, she is in need to take a bath for the janaba of the above condition, then uh, can she take bath after seven days or when should she do so? Yes. Uh, so uh, as uh, the questioner may be aware because of the question is that having relations with uh, your wife while she's menstruating is a major sin. Uh, it is something that has been uh, strictly prohibited. Uh, in the Hanafi madhab, all a person has to do is make tawbah. In some of the other mazahib, one should give some charity because of having committed the sin. And uh, if you look at it up, you know, in terms of uh, the Nabi Salsam said, Faliyata Saddaq, in certain narrations, is the amount that is given. Uh, if we have to translate it, it may be, uh, you know, a couple of hundreds of rands, a uh, hundred or two hundred rands, one should give in charity. This is according to the other mazahib. Now, in this particular instance that we have, the man was obviously unaware that his wife uh, was in her menses and uh, he had relations with her. Uh, so in this case, you know, uh, because he was unaware, there was no deliberate violation of the laws of the Sharia and therefore a person did not commit a sin. Mm. But now, uh, in Islam, you know, we always told to keep, uh, to stay cautious to abstain from doubtful areas. And therefore, if the wife was expecting her menses any time, then it is uh, precautionary to uh, avoid intercourse at the time when she's expecting it. So that is the first part of it. There's no sin as such, though one should make toba, And if one can, give some charity to expiate for that sin. The second part is that now that the deed has been taken place and the lady wants to know, must she take a bath of purity now or should she wait till her menses ends? So the wife doesn't need to take ghusl because she is in a state of janaba and will remain in that state until the end of the period of uh, her menses. So she should wait till the end of the period and take a first ghusl at that time. Uh, she may take a bath to cleanse herself, to refresh herself, but this would not have any religious connotation to this bath. Jazakallah so much for that, Mufti Sahib. Another question is, uh, the, so the, question, the person says, my question was regarding the manzil. Are women allowed to read the manzil when they are on the menstruation? Also, do they have to read it broken up? Are they allowed to touch the small manzil box with Urdu translation? Also, if you are not on menstruation, are you allowed to touch the manzil without Urdu? Jazakallah for your assistance. A woman in menses cannot read any verses of the Noble Quran. So that is a given. Uh, it is permissible for her to read verses of the Qur'an which are as a du'a or as a ruqya, as a personal protection from all the evils. And the manzil itself comprises the verses of the Qur'an that are effective in repelling black magic and jinn and it is read as a ruqya. 
and uh, the those verses, the thirty verses of the Manzil, it is found in a hadith of Mustadrak al Hakim. So, considering that it's read for the purpose of du'a and for protection, it would be permissible for a woman to uh, in a menses to read the Manzil and uh, as a ruqya. She should obviously avoid touching the verses of the Quran in the Manzil itself. Uh, so, uh, touching the actual verses itself. Uh, that should be avoided. Okay, Jazakla for that, Mutsusab. For the questions, if a person passes away at sea and there is a fear that the body will begin to bloat, what should be done? If a person passes away on sea, then he should, uh, the person should be given ghusl. Mm. Uh, you know, should be washed, should be given the kafan, should be shrouded, and then the person, the janazah salah will be performed and the body will be put into the water. Uh, if the body is brought on land and it started to bloat, water should be poured over the body with due diligence, ensuring the body does not burst open, after which the body will be shrouded. And if there's a fear that the body will burst open by forming sunnah shrouding, one may suffice on one piece of cloth. So if it's in the ocean and you want to bury, then you can just place the body in the water. If it comes to the land, then you bury it on the land. So that is uh, in terms of what happens if a person passes on the way on sea, and uh, uh, there isn't the opportunity of bringing the person to the land to do the normal burial. Jazakallah so much for that, Muftisab. Uh, another question, do we have to perform the ghusl when the limbs or, or, or the head of a person is cut off? Yeah, so in this particular instance, you know, if majority of the body with the head is found, the washing, the ghusl, the shrouding, the janazah will perform is normal. However, the head is not found or only half or less than half of the body is found without the head, then washing will not be performed. Uh, the parts will be wrapped in a single cloth and placed in a grave without performing janazah salah. So we look at the head as an integral part of it and mm-hmm. uh, then the major part of the body. If uh, the major part of the body is found, then all of that, uh, then you'll have the uh, ghusl, uh, kafan and janazah. And if the major part of the body is not there, then there'll be no ghusl, Will be in the, you know you'll just put it wrap it in a single cloth and place it in the grave without your janazah salah. Okay, another question is: I would like to know if I can give zakat to someone who buys expensive clothes, mobile phones, shoes, and other items. I also have doubts about the person who we give zakat to because I've seen her wear gold jewelry, but my husband don't have doubts because he says she must have borrowed gold from someone, and she phones my husband that she is entitled to it. Her son is always wearing nice clothes. He has a very expensive motorbike. She is widowed, so are you allowed to give zakat? who goes out and buy expensive things? On the outset, it should be understood that zakat can only be given to the rightful recipient of zakat. Allah says in the Noble Quran, in Surah Tawbah, verse number 60, mm-hmm. that uh, zakat are for the poor, who have nothing or very little, the destitute people with totally uh, no wealth whatsoever or less than the, the value of Nisab. So if a person has excess wealth to 87,475 grams of gold or 612,34 grams of silver or the equivalent value in the local currency besides his or her basic needs, then he or she is liable to pay the cut and can therefore not receive the cut. However, if a person is, uh, person's liabilities exceeds his assets and income, then he qualifies to receive the cut. 
if it had been established that the recipient that you're talking about uh, is a legitimate recipient of zakat and the zakat given to them uh, will be valid and discharged, it's not necessary to inspect how the recipient of the zakat spends the money. Zakat is meant to support the underprivileged, and therefore one should not take uh, advantage of zakat funds. Uh, this is from the person who receives the zakat from their particular perspective. Uh, and uh, in this particular query, you know, it seems that you are in doubt whether or not uh, the lady is a, a worthy recipient of zakat. Uh, we advise that, you know, before you discharge your zakat, you thoroughly investigate whether or not they are eligible to receive zakat. If uh, you still don't feel satisfied, uh, then we say that you should explain your husband and consider giving your zakat to those who you are convinced are eligible. And if your husband still wants to assist them, uh, he may support them with his zakat, and you don't give your zakat for that. So uh, these are the various considerations that you could make in this regard. Okay, Musab, another question that comes through. The person says, Assalamu alaikum, hope you're all well. If I travel to a place further than the mileage of Safar and forgot to make Niyya for Safar and remembered only after reading my Zohar Salah, is this okay or should I read Kasar Kaza for this Salah? So if the person, when traveling for Safar, you know, you, you must know that you are traveling the distance of Safar. Mm. You don't have to make intention that you're undertaking suffer, but you must have an intention that I'm traveling the distance of suffer. Mm. Uh, and once you make that intention, uh, once you know that you're traveling the distance of suffer, then uh, in that particular instance, you'll become a musafir. And if you're a musafir, then you'll read the kasar amount. Uh, if you did not know about it or you, know, you weren't aware of the distance and you just traveled, then you won't become a musafir. And in that instance, you will read the full amount. Okay. Jazakallah for that, Muftisab. I think we're going to have to leave it there. There's still uh, the final air break to take. If there are any questions that you still need to get answered, you can privately message uh, Muftisab. Uh, his email address is ym at radioislam.co.za. Muftisab will then respond to you, or you can wait until next week, and then we will take the questions there. Jazakallah to the listeners for sending in those questions, and obviously Jazakallah to Muftisab for answering the questions so that we can all benefit and we can all learn. Muftisab, Jazakallah so much for your time this morning.